taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test Getting into today's sermon, I'm going to be shifting gears a little bit. We're talking about generosity today, and the title of today's sermon is Faith Driven Generosity. So I'm going to just jump right into this. Uh, We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 6 through 8. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You each must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. We're going to talk about faith driven generosity, faith driven generosity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this chance to preach your word. I pray that you will speak through me in a way that is real and relevant and palatable to your people. I pray that you will challenge us in this space of generosity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If it's true, y'all, that the average American will earn a little less than $2 million over their lifetime, that that same average American will lose a quarter of it to taxes and another quarter of it to debt interest. Why would we take some of the little bit that is left over and give it to somebody else? Why would we do that? Why, Why would we take some of the little bit of money that we have left and give it to somebody that we may not even know? After all, we have our own rent or mortgage to pay, our own car note to pay, our own student loans to pay, our own credit cards to pay, our own utilities to pay, our own 401k to save into, and kids' college to save up for. Often, there is not enough for us month to month, or there is just enough with just a little bit left over each month after we have taking care of our own needs and after we have tied to the church and that there tends to not be very much left over. So why would we give the little left over to somebody else? Why would we spend it on not our needs, but the needs of somebody else? Let me say to you this morning that this speaks to the distinctive called faith driven generosity. You see, when you are driven by faith, you move in ways that don't usually make natural sense. Don't make natural sense, but that appeal to a higher sensibility. A sensibility that says that because of all that God has done for me, I can't help but to do for other people. It is a bringing to life what the Proverbs writer had in mind when they said, when you give to the poor, it is like lending to the Lord and the Lord will pay you back. 
Last week, I coined this phrase called that I called kingdom currency. And what kingdom currency in short is, you got to go back and listen to that message. But what kingdom currency in short is, it is, it is the stuff that matters to the kingdom of God, like kindness and faith and meekness and acts of service and importantly, generosity. Now, from a strictly earthly standpoint, there are absolutely more efficient uses of money than sharing it with other people. There are profits to be made and investments to be funded and comforts to be purchased with that money. But from the perspective of someone who is part of another kingdom, one that is not of this world, let me say to you that there is no greater use for money than to use it to relieve some of the sufferings of other people. It is exactly the relief of suffering that occasions Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There is a famine that is going on in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, as some of you uh, may have known from older preach from other preaching, Jerusalem is the seat of the young movement called Christianity. People there in Jerusalem are struggling to deal with some of the basic necessities of life. That there is a famine going on, and so they are struggling with food shortage. But then to add to this struggling with the food shortage thing, they are also struggling because some of them are Jewish converts to Christianity. And so when they left Judaism, they also left their family. They also left their friend circles. And so all of that social network that would usually be in place to be a safety net to support an individual during a time of famine or during a time of drought or during a time of devastation. Those safety nets that would normally be in place are now absent for these Jewish Christians. Yes, they have been marginalized. They have been ostracized from society and they are facing very, very dire consequences. Paul had told the Corinthians about it on his missionary journey to Corinth when he circled back to check on the churches. And when the Corinthian Christians heard about what was going on with the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they were eager to help. The only problem here, by the time we get to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is that it has been an entire year, and that gift that the Corinthian church had said that they were committing to give has still not come. Uh, Paul has gone around telling other churches in other cities that the Corinthians were going to give, and it has sparked others to say that they wanted to give and to start giving. So Paul writes to tell the Corinthians, in effect, don't talk about it, be about it. Do what you said you would do. Paul does not want to be embarrassed when, when these other Christians from these other churches and cities come with him to pick up this co collection. So Paul tells them, do what you said, do what you said you were going to do. Paul has told the Macedonians, those that are from the Philippian church or, or the church at Philippi, that, that the Corinthians were ready and it had spurred them to give. Paul is like, don't embarrass me when we get there. Paul tells them to prepare the gift that they committed to. But he says, I want you to prepare this gift with one caveat. 
He says to them, only give what you have purposed in your heart and don't let it be out of compulsion. Let it be a willing gift because God loves a cheerful giver. He says to them, remember that the rules from farming apply here. He says in verse number six, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Many of you may have heard me tell this illustration before when I was growing up. We used to eat sunflower seeds. Some people were real good at sunflower seeds, put them in their mouth, crack them, separate the shell from the seed and spit out the seed. Some were real good at that. The thing about sunflower seeds is that when you bought that little pack of Davis sunflower seeds, you recognize that they were meant to be eaten. Your apple seeds are a little bit different. I love apples. In the fall, we go to the apple orchard. In the Davis household, we go to the apple orchard, get all kinds of apples, and all throughout the year, we eat apples. The apples have these seeds in the middle. I do not eat them the way that I eat sunflower seeds. You see, some seeds we are accustomed to eating, but then there are other seeds that we recognize are not about eating. They are best for planting. The question that I have for you this morning is, are you eating all of your seeds or are you sowing any? Some of us, I would have to say, are living in the shade tree that sprung up from our seeds of generosity. It is because we did not eat all of the seeds. We planted some. When it comes to the money that we bring in week after week or month after month. Some of you have taken time and taken chances to be intentional about giving away some of it, sowing seeds of generosity. And those seeds of generosity are meaningful because they end up springing forth for us. Let me say to you that I know, I know that exercising this kind of generosity may come as difficult to some people. I know that it pushes you, and I, and I know that for some of you, you are thinking about your own priorities, the priority of getting my own house in order, the other priorities that I may have to take care of my own needs with the money that I work very hard for. But let me say to you that something happens when you are generous. Yeah, I'm all for us in ensuring that we take care of ourselves and we take care of our families. But let me push you that that ought to not be the only thing that we do, that we also ought to be sowing some seeds of generosity because something happens. If something happens. I have seen it in my own life. And, and Paul, 2000 years ago, testified to it as well. Paul says, and he shares with us, and I'll share with you for the sake of this sermon, that four things happen when we are generous. Four things happen. First of all, God blesses you with more than enough to meet your needs. Verse 8 says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Here is the principle that I want to share with y'all that comes out of this passage. The, the principle is this. When you give to others, God takes care of you according to his word. I don't know why it works that way. I, I can't explain it scientifically, but there is something about the way that the favor of God operates, wherein the one who gives always gets some more. The Proverbs writer picked up this principle perhaps a thousand years before Paul even wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. 
the Proverbs writer says, those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That's Proverbs 11 and 24. Let me share with you that the second thing that happens is that God sends blessings to others through you. Yes, that's the second thing that happens when you are generous. God sends blessings through you. When I was a kid, I, I loved when my mother or my grandmother sent me to the corn store to go buy something for them. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a little bit inconvenient. It, it may have meant that I had to put on my shoes and leave the house and walk a block and a half to the corner store. If it was the winter time, I had to put my coat on and my boots on and I had to go and walk through the snow in order to get there. But, but, but the reason that I did not mind them putting money in my hand and sending me on a mission that had nothing to do with me was because usually I got to keep the change. May I tell you, my, may I tell you this morning why it is that I don't mind being used by God as a conduit for blessings that God wishes to send to other people. The, the, the reason that I don't mind being used as a conduit by God to send blessings to other people is because the way that the economics of God are set up is that God usually allows me to keep the change. Yeah, I, I want to be entrusted to give away money because it is reflective of the fact that God has already given some to me. I, I want God to send me on missions to give away clothes because it usually means that God has already given some to me. I, I want to be sent by God to give food to other people because it means that God has already given some to me. I don't mind God sending blessings through me because God lets me keep the change. At the heart of this is the question, do you want to be a channel or a dam? Yes, let me say to you that when you are a channel, God can send blessings through you, but when you are damned, nothing gets through you. Do you want to be a channel or a dam? Verse 10 says, For God is the one who provides seed for the sower and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Let me share with you thirdly that when you are generous, God is glorified. Let's look back at the text, verse 11. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. I, I am not a great singer. Um, Corey Barksdale is our very able worship leader at City Point. But, but you know, I've discovered that I can in fact lead people into worship if I need to. You want to know how I can lead people into worship? By giving to a Christian that's in need. You, you want to make praise and worship break out in somebody that has a relationship with the Lord that's struggling? Go be a blessing to them. 
Go, go be a blessing to somebody that's warm in their apartment with a stove right now because their gas is turned off and they ain't got the $600 to get that gas back on. Go be a blessing to them to get that gas turned back on and see what you get or won't he do it. Go fill up the refrigerator of that relative that you know is doing the best that they can to try to make a dollar out of 15 cents, but is struggling to keep food in the refrigerator for their kids and see when you get a praise break out of them. Paul says to the Corinthians, when you give to these Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering a famine, they will give glory to God. Let me share with you fourthly and finally that the thing that happens when we are generous is that the gospel is evidenced. The text says, for, our, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. You want to prove the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me say to you, if you want to do that, be radically generous because of the inexpressible gift that God has already given to you. Yeah, the, the, the way that we prove it, the, the way that we do apologetics is not through arguing and debating or quoting a whole bunch of scriptures. Show it. Show, show, show the realness of the gospel through the way that you are willing to, while the rest of the world is functioning in selfishness, you are willing to give deeply. Go do that. Let me say to you that your life pursuits, when your life pursuits, are not about how much you can get, not about how much you can acquire, not about how much you can accumulate, but rather how much you can give. That's kingdom currency. That is kingdom currency. Yeah, there are some people that can't wait to get a million. What faith-driven generosity does is it flips that. And it says, I can't wait to be able to give a million. That, that is faith-driven generosity. And that is the place that I am hoping to drive us to.